be worried about right now? Like, what, what, what worry in your life rises to the top this morning? There's a tree in our yard that gets me worried sometimes. It's a big, long, huge branch. And it's just beautiful and provides shade, but if that, if that thing snapped, it's like it comes down right on us. You know, just I hope that, hope that doesn't snap. It's easy to worry about something like that. We worry about our income. We worry about our bills. We worry about our taxes. We worry about our retirement. We worry about getting a job. Then we worry about keeping a job. We worry about our responsibilities, our homes, our vehicles, our kids when they're babies, our kids as they're growing up, our health, our food, severe weather, our country, our relationships. And these are just a few of the typical things that we all tend to worry about day in and day out. You've probably worried about at least some of those things yourself, if not all of them, and we could easily add to this list of anxieties. You know, it's interesting that we live today with more wealth than at any point in human history. Like we, we have more than anyone's ever had. We have more knowledge than at any point in human history. We can, we can YouTube anything. Right? We have more resources than we've ever had, and yet for all of this, we still worry. We probably even worry more. We live in an age of anxiety. For all of our supposed advances through the centuries, worry remains with us and in us. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 6 this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're going through this series following the fulfillment. And we're in a section in Matthew 6 where, where Jesus is addressing uh, wealth and possessions and, and security. And last week we saw Jesus calling his disciples and calling us to stop laying up treasures on earth and start laying up treasures in heaven. We saw God calling us to, to not serve money, to not serve wealth, but to serve God. And, and we saw this, this is not just a command to, to not get as rich as you can, but, but it's really addressing the idea of security that we look to wealth, we look to possessions to bring us security. We store these things up because we want security in this life. And Jesus told us last week that these things are vulnerable. These things don't last. These things don't make a good refuge for you. Serve God. Lay up treasure in heaven where, where nothing can take that treasure away. And so, so Jesus has called us to this. He says, serve God. Have a single eye for Christ. Lay up treasure in heaven. That's what we saw last week, but... Jesus, in this next passage, is anticipating an objection from his disciples. And he, here's the objection that he's anticipating. Is if I do that, if I, if I stop storing up treasure on earth, if I, if I serve God and not money, if I, if, I don't, if I don't make wealth a concern in my life, then what's going to happen when famine comes? What am I going to eat when famine comes? What am I going to drink when drought comes? What am I going to wear on a harsh winter's night when the moth is eaten through the only piece of clothing? What am I going to do, Jesus? How can you say that? How can you say not to worry about, not, not, to, not to serve these, not to be concerned about these things, not to live for treasure on earth when, when we need things, and when, when, when there's danger all around us? Jesus is anticipating this objection, and he's answering it in this morning's passage. Our text is Matthew 6. Verses 25 through 34. Let's read this and see how he answers this. 
Matthew 6, 25-34, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus' main point in these verses is clear. He says it three times, at the beginning, in the middle, and the end. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not be afraid of what might happen in your life. That's what worry is, isn't it? It's fear of what might happen. So don't do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious about the future. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Don't, don't worry about what you think you will need. But you know, he doesn't just command his disciples not to worry and move on. He could have just said, therefore, do not be anxious. Let's keep going. But no, he spends time here, doesn't he? Jesus slows down to address this. He slows down to address our worries. Because you know what? Worry is hard to kick, isn't it? Worry's not reasonable. Worry's not rational. Worry, worry is, is deep in us. You're worried about things that you don't even know you're worried about right now. And Jesus, like an expert physician, digs deep for us this morning. He stays there and he asks questions to help us get to the root of our worries. This is, this is an applica- kind of an aside application this morning, but I was going to say now is... is Ask questions when you're worried. Ask good questions. Ask the right questions. Speak to yourself. Say, why are you worried? And start digging the way Jesus does in this passage. He asks questions to help us get to the root of our worries. And and Jesus, here's the thing, he doesn't just want us to stop worrying. He wants us to know that the reason we can stop worrying is because we truly have nothing to worry about. Church, that's Jesus' message to you this morning, is there's nothing to worry about. You have nothing to be anxious about. Do not be anxious because there's no need to be anxious. That's his message this morning to us. Do not be anxious because there's no need to be anxious. Now, we immediately say, what are you talking about? I have every reason to be anxious, and this is why Jesus asks questions. There's four questions that Jesus asks us to help us get to the root of our worry. We're going to look at those this morning. Four questions that get to the root of our worry. The first one is in verse 25. The question is this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
says, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So, so again, Jesus is answering this anticipated objection. If I don't store up treasure, if I don't have security, what am I going to do when there's a famine? What am I going to do when there's a drought? What am I going to do when it's cold? I, I need food. I need drink. I need clothing. And Jesus, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about, about your life. And by that, he means about your physical life and the fact that you need food to survive. Our bodies need food to survive. Don't worry about, about the fact that you have a body that needs shelter, that needs clothes in the harsh conditions of the world. Don't worry about those things. And here's the question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus asks this question comparing these things, life and food, the body and clothing. And, and our translations are a little different on this. Some might, ESV says, is not life more than this? Is not the body more than this? Some might say, uh, what's more important? What, what, some might say, what is greater? Now, I want to help us understand exactly the way this comparison is working. Some translations make it seem like Jesus is, is getting out of priorities here. Like he's saying, there's more to life than food. Stop focusing on something so trivial and basic as food. Uh, so so if, if that's the translation, then, then it's get your priorities straight. Stop thinking about food. Stop thinking about clothes. But I don't think that's Jesus' point here. Food is important. Clothes and shelter are significant. These aren't luxuries. These are basic necessities that Jesus is addressing here. We are physical people who need these things. We need food. We need water. We need shelter to survive. So I don't think Jesus is saying, get your mind off these things. These, these things aren't important. No, they are important. No, Jesus is reminding of the, the disciples of, of something more fundamental. Listen, the reason why you need clothes is because you have a body. Like, if you didn't have a body, you wouldn't need clothes, Right? The reason you need food is because you have a life that you need to sustain. And here's this point. He's arguing from the greater to the lesser is, is, is if you have a life, who gave you that life? Who gave you that life? Who gave you your body? You're so worried about feeding your body. Who gave you a body to worry about? This question draws our attention to the fact that we have a creator who made us. He's given you life. He's given you a body. Of course he's going to give you what you need to sustain that life and sustain that body. If he created you, he will sustain you. That's Jesus' point. Now listen, from a naturalistic worldview, we have every reason to worry, right? Because in a naturalistic worldview, our physical life was a complete accident. I just find myself in the universe and I need to fend for myself if I'm going to survive. I'm just an accident, and it's up to me. But from a biblical worldview, our existence is not an accident. You exist as the result of direct, divine, creative activity. God made you. He created you. He thought of you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you a body, and he breathed life into your body. God made you. And if God made you, if God chose to make you, won't he sustain you? If God gave you life, he will give you what you need to live. If God gave you a body, he will give you what you need for protection. And so this first question is meant to move our minds to God as our creator. And, and right away we see something here, that Jesus does not address worry with strategies. Jesus does not address worry with quick tips. 
Jesus addresses worry with a vision of God. And here's the vision that he starts with. God made you. God is your creator. He gave you the life you're worried about. He will provide for you. So Redeemer Church, do not be anxious because God made you. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not be fearful about your life because God gave you your life. You are a created being with a creator that that formed you together and chose for you to live and gave you the body that you are in. Do not be anxious. God made you. The second question comes in verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they. So Jesus points the disciples to creation and specifically to the birds of the air. And he says, listen, the birds don't have farms. The birds don't have plows. The birds don't have to sow and reap. And yet the birds have food. And why is that? Well, Psalm 145, 16 tells us, while you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. God feeds the birds of the air. Not to say that they don't do anything, that they don't, they don't work at all, but, but, but they're not worried and they're not fretting about where they're going to get their food. God feeds them. Now, in Luke, Jesus specifically talks about ravens in, this, in, the, in the passage that is parallel to this. And the reason that's significant is because ravens were, were kind of a, a, a filthy animal in Judah. They were unclean and, and they, weren't, they weren't like this cute little bluebird eating a worm out of the ground. No, they weren't, they weren't seen like that. And, and, and so I think a good analogy is a few months ago, we had on our hill, so you remember this, we had a possum that was not playing possum. It was a dead possum. And, and that possum became a wonderful feast for vultures. And we had vultures up on our hill. And, and listen, vultures are nasty. Like, no one wants a pet vulture, right? And yet God gave those vultures this possum. We're all very thankful we didn't have to move the possum ourselves, right? But, but like, why? Why? Because God made them. God, God cares for the vultures. They're, they're part of his creation. He opened his hand and he satisfied the desire of the vultures on Redeemer's Hill behind the barn that day. And Jesus then says, are you not of more value than a vulture? Like, you're not just... You're not just another bird in creation. Listen, the, the first question draws us to the fact that God made you, but here Jesus digs deeper. He, he reminds us that God values you because God made you in his image. We're not just another creature. We are creatures made in the image of our creator. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. God made us to know him and to enjoy him and to reflect his glory in the world. God loves us. God has a special love for his people. And so if he takes care of just a a less significant element of his creation, like a vulture, like a bird, then how much more will he value you and take care of you? He's, he's pointing to the fact, not just that God made you, but that God loves you. It's, it's, it's so simple, isn't it? God made you, and God loves you. God created you, and God values you. So church, do not be anxious. Do not worry, because you have a creator who gave you the life you have, and he loves you, and he values you. 
You are truly special to him. Believe that, church. This leads to the third question in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The, the literal word Jesus uses here for span of life is, is, is cubit. It's about 18 inches. And, and what Jesus is doing, he's picturing your life uh, like a timeline. And so just picture the stage as your life. And that corner is when you were born. And over here, this corner is when you will die. And Jesus is saying that worrying cannot add this much to your life. You, you, Worry is not going to accomplish anything. You're not going to extend your life by worrying. He's asking the rhetorical question, can, can, can worrying add anything to your life? And the answer is no. It cannot. Worrying does not accomplish anything. Now we know that, if anything, worry and anxiety make our health worse, not better. Right? I mean, we know that. But Jesus' point is not just a practical one. Again, Jesus is drawing our attention to the Lord And the reason that worrying cannot add a single hour to your life is because you are not in control of your life. The reason that worrying can't add a cubit is because your life has already been determined. This question is meant to remind us that the God who made us and the God who loves us is sovereign over us. He's sovereign over us. Psalm 139.16 says, In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Before I lived a day, every one of my days was already determined by the Lord. He is sovereign over my life from the day I'm born to the day I die. Just as I did not determine the day I was born, I also will not determine the day that I die. I cannot make my death any sooner than God intended, and I cannot extend my life past the day that God has set. He is sovereign over it. He is in control over it. We worry, we worry because we're afraid of that day coming. And on the one hand, we need to realize that, that if God has set the day of my death, then nothing can harm me. Nothing can truly harm me until that day. Nothing can touch me until God allows it. But also that I cannot extend it past the day he has determined God is the one in control of our lives and even of our deaths. And if that's true, then worry is pointless. It's pointless. It's fruitless. Now, as we meditate on this point, there's a tension we might feel because why are we worried? Like, what are we afraid of? If I'm afraid I'm not going to have food, it's because I don't, I don't want to die. And Jesus is saying, well, you're going to die. <laughs> God's in control of that. Don't worry, because you're going to die. How is that comforting to us? Right? Now, he's in control of our lives, but how is this a comfort? We don't want to die. Right? And this leads to the fourth question. We've seen, don't don't be anxious because God made you, and God loves you, and God's in in control of your life. He's sovereign over you. But but this leads to the, the fourth question. We're going to dig a little deeper. Verse 28 is where it begins. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, I believe that Jesus is making a rich point for us in these verses. The question is at the end, if God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? And it sounds very similar to what he said earlier, doesn't it? That, that if, if God feeds the birds, won't he feed you? If God clothes the grass, won't he clothe you? But the language that Jesus uses and the metaphors that he chooses here show there's something a little bit richer going on. Something different going on than, than what happened earlier. So let's, let's walk through it. First, he points us to a field. And how many of you have ever seen a field just bursting with wildflowers? Just driving by, and, and it's beautiful, right? It's stunning. And, and Jesus is pointing to this image of a field that's just, that's just in the springtime, been overcome with flowers. And, and he says, even Solomon, the, 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 the grandest, most wealthiest king in Israel, his clothing didn't compare at all to what God does for a field. Just pointing to the beauty of his creation, the beauty of what he does for his creation, for, his, for these fields of grass. And so, so he's getting that image in our minds, but, but then look at what the comparison is. He doesn't say, if God so clothes the grass, how much more valuable are you than grass? The, the, the comparison is not one of value this time. Look what he says in verse 30. He, he emphasizes the temporariness of the field. Right? If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's, he's focusing on the fact that that, that field is not going to last. That that grass that God so beautifully clothes is going to come up today and it's going to wither tomorrow. And then he says it's going to be taken, it's going to be thrown into the oven. And so it sounds a little odd, but Jesus is comparing the fate of grass with the fate of his people. The destiny of of a field with the destiny of disciples. And he's combining two pretty common biblical metaphors in a very surprising way. So, so one of the metaphors is the metaphor of grass. And, and if you have read your Bible much, you, you can probably think of this yourself, that, is that grass is used throughout the Bible to be a picture of human life. Grass is used throughout Scripture to, to show how our, our lives as sinful human beings just are, are, are gone in an instant. They come and they go. They, 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 they spring up and then, and then they fly away. And at the same time, the other metaphor Jesus uses here is, is fire. He says that the grass is thrown into the oven and throughout Matthew, whenever that phrase is used, it's always referring to judgment. Whenever something is thrown into the fire, it's an, it's an image of judgment. Okay, so stay with me here. Turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And keep your finger in Matthew, but turn with me to Psalm 90, where we see these themes coming together. Psalm 90. It's a meditation on God as the eternal everlasting God, but on us as, as sinful humans with brief lives to live. And in Psalm 90, verse 3, Moses says, Moses wrote this psalm, he says, you return man to dust. And say, return, O children of man. God, God brings us back to dust according to the curse of our sin. From dust you were made to dust you will return. Right? For a thousand years in your sight is 
but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. So you see... What Jesus is saying, they're saying that, that, God, you are the eternal God, but we are sinners who return to dust. Our lives are like grass that springs up and then, and then withers away, and then we face your judgment. That, that, that's who we are. We don't deserve God's provision. We don't deserve food. We don't deserve water. We don't deserve clothing. We are sinners who deserve to die. And yet, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who have left everything to follow him, who are inheritors of the kingdom of God, to those who are adopted into God's family as his children. And so now in Matthew, Jesus is using these images of grass and of, and of fire, and he's saying, that's not you. That's who you were, but that's not who you are. You were like the grass that, that comes and, and then goes and then faces judgments thrown into the eternal fires of hell. But, but now you are my people. Will he not much more clothe you? Let's listen to what one commentator says. I hope this brings clarity. He says, Jesus' disciples who were created to live eternally and who would be rescued from the inextinguishable fire were far more precious to God than grass. And let us be certain that God would do much more for them than he did for the grass. You, you, you see, church, God is not just our creator. He's made us in his image and his control of our lives, but God is our savior as well. God has saved us from the judgment that we deserve so that when, when that moment of death comes, that we fear this moment of death that is underneath all of our worries, because Hebrews says that we live in the fear of death, when this comes, we're not afraid of it anymore. Because we don't face the judgment. We're not going to be thrown into the fire. We're not just going to wither and, and be thrown into the fire, but we are redeemed through Jesus Christ and his death for us and his resurrection. And that moment becomes a doorway into eternal life, into the kingdom of God. Why are we worried? Like, why are we worried? God made us. God loves us. God is in control of our lives. And even though we are sinners, God has saved us and God will deliver us through death to everlasting life in his kingdom forever. Why are you anxious, O oh, you of little faith? And you see what Jesus, he's, he's dug, he's dug, and he's dug, and now here's the root of your worry, unbelief. Jesus gives one reason for worry in this passage, O oh, you of little faith. And listen, I understand that that is an offensive message to say today. Like I said, we live in an age of anxiety, and we point to a thousand reasons for our worry. And Jesus comes and says, there's one underneath it all. Unbelief. Now this is not to say that there aren't other reasons there are other things going on. We are complex creatures. We live in a fallen world. Sin has affected our bodies and our souls. We've lived broken lives. We, there's many things that converge to make us worry, to make us anxious. And yet, 
underneath it all, if we just keep digging and keep digging and keep digging, Jesus points out this one thing. O you of little faith. God made you, but you don't believe. God loves you, but you doubt he loves you. God is in control of your life, but you're not really sure he is. God will deliver you, but you're not really sure he will. Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. You see, the Gentiles seek after these things. The Gentiles live in worry. The Gentiles are anxious. She's talking about unbelievers here. She's talking about pagan idolaters. He's saying they worry about these things, and they seek after all these things. Why? Because think about the gods of the Gentiles. Here's, here's a Gentile's God, either unaware, he doesn't know what's going on, or unable to help, he can't do anything about it, or just uninclined. He doesn't want to. So, so of course, the Gentiles worry, because they're on their own. Of course, they seek after treasure on it, they seek after security, they seek after all these things because they're on their own. But he says, don't be like the Gentiles, because you are believers, and you have a heavenly Father who knows what you need, and who is able to provide what you need, and is inclined to meet your needs. The things that you're worried about, you are forgetting that you have a Father in heaven. And just like your child might come down the stairs and say, I'm scared. In that moment, you, what, what do you do as a parent? You, you say, I love you. You're safe. It's okay. You just reassure them of who you are and your love for them. This is what the Father does for us in our worries. He, he says, I know. I know your needs. I'm able to meet your needs. And I want to because I love you. He made you. He loves you. He's in control of your life. And he will deliver you. We need to believe. We need greater faith. So a few applications. A few applications. First, we need to know God better. We need to know him better. You know, when I remember when I was younger, I would, I would read this passage from Philippians chapter 4. Probably familiar to you if you are a worrier. Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay, that's a great verse. It's, it's a wonderful verse to remind us that, that we can pray to God, but, but listen, that verse does nothing for you if you don't know the God who you're praying to. That verse has no power in it unless when you are praying to God, you are remembering this God is my heavenly Father. Then, then you realize that he's in control and he loves me and I can trust him. And so we need to know God better. If you want to fight worry, you need to fight at this deep level of knowing God better. Growing in his word. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of God. So open the scriptures, meditate on the gospel, and grow in knowing and understanding who our God is. 
We sang about it earlier. He is our God. All things we sang about earlier. And yet this God is our Heavenly Father. And when we worry, we are betraying that we don't know him well enough. And so know God better. And if you don't know the Lord in Jesus Christ, I want to call you today to come to him in repentance and faith. Confess to him that you have been living in sin, you've been living in rebellion, that you deserve that judgment we talked about, but know that this God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. He died for your sins, he paid the penalty, he rose again, and all who believe in him are not only forgiven, but they're adopted into the family of God forever. I call you this morning to, to come into that relationship, to repent and believe, and then from there we just continue to know God more. So know God. Second application, prioritize the kingdom. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is a wonderful promise that calls us to prioritize the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. That that, that means that, that the kingdom of God is our priority. The kingdom of God is number one on our list of things to do. We want, we want to seek the kingdom. We want to seek his righteousness. This, this, this verse really calls us to live out the Sermon on the Mount. It calls us to, to live out the, the, the call to be salt and light, the call to true righteousness, the call to, to lay up treasure in heaven. It's saying, saying, give yourself to these things and look at the promise and all these things will be added to you. So this is a wonderful promise to rest in, church. As you devote yourself to the Lord and to his kingdom and to his gospel and to following him, God will give you everything you need in this life. You will never lack what you need to live for the kingdom of God. You will never lack what you need to glorify God in this life. He will give you all that you need. But listen, verse 34 then comes behind this promise with, with this truth. We need to live one day at a time. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, so, so how do we apply this morning's message? We need to know God more. We need to prioritize His kingdom. But then we need to live one day at a time. God will give you everything you need, but He's not going to do it all at once. He's not going to do it all at once. He's not going to give you everything you need in a storehouse so you can see it there. He's going to say, trust me, one day at a time. Just like Israel in the wilderness could not collect extra manna for themselves. No, they they collected enough for one day and had to trust God that he would provide what they needed the next day and the next day and the next day. And through that exercise, they are learning to live not in worry but in trust. They're learning to live in dependence and trust of their heavenly Father. And that's how Jesus calls us to live. He says, he, he acknowledges there's a lot of trouble in this world. There's a lot to be worried about in this world. But don't, don't project onto the future and, and worry about tomorrow. Do what needs to be done today. God will give you all that you need for today. Live one day at a time. You know, when we, when we live with an eye tomorrow, we're just living as false prophets. We're living as false prophets, right? Because a false prophet is someone who, who thinks they know the future or declares the future, but you really don't, right? You're taking the place of God. You're acting like you know what's going to happen, and you're living according to what you think might happen, but you don't know. And so entrust that to the Lord. Say, God, you are the one who knows the future. You hold the future. You're in control. You made me. You love me. You will deliver me. Let me live today for your glory. 
And I want to commend to you, church, the Lord's Prayer as a way to actually put this into practice. Because think about it. Our Father in heaven. The Lord's Prayer reminds us who God is. Helps us to know God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The Lord's Prayer reorients us to prioritize the kingdom of God. And then give us this day our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to live one day at a time. Give us what we need today. So church, fight worry through prayer, fight worry through the scriptures, fight worry by prioritizing the kingdom and living one day at a time. Let me pray.